So let's look at, uh, first of all, 1 Peter 2. We're talking about discipleship, and this is uh, something that Peter wrote to the churches. Verse 1, he said, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then we'll turn over to Mark chapter 6. And this is uh, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So we'll begin reading there with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, discipleship is uh, not a word that gets a lot of use today, and therefore I'm not always certain that we really even understand what exactly it means, so I just want to review that briefly as we begin. A disciple is simply a follower. A disciple is a student. A disciple is an apprentice, an intern. But we shouldn't get confused when we use a word like student because we're not thinking of the kinds of students we're used to being and seeing today where we sit in a classroom and take in information. The goal of a disciple of Jesus, you see, is not just taking in more information, but it's actually to become like the teacher. That's the goal, to become like the teacher, to become like Jesus. Discipleship begins when Jesus says, come and follow me. And it doesn't end 
It's a lifetime call. The rest of your life is spent fulfilling that obligation, following Jesus, learning what he knows, doing what he does. Maybe you've heard the phrase, get dusty. Get dusty. It comes from Jesus' day, really, when disciples were urged to follow their rabbis, to follow their teachers so closely that the dust of their sandals actually would blanket you. So you would be following so closely behind that as they kicked up their dust, it would fall on you. Get dusty. That's what it meant to be a disciple. Now, you and I can't get dusty in the same way that Peter, James, and John did when they followed Jesus. But what they did physically, you and I are called to do spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to get dusty. We are called to follow Jesus. We're called to watch how he interacts with people and what people he interacts with. We're called to listen to his teaching, to learn from him. We're called to visit the places that he visits and imitate him in everything that he does. This is what discipleship is. It's, it's getting dusty. I have a feeling if you looked a little closely at Jeb this morning, maybe you'll do that later, you might find some Jesus dust on Jeb. And that's what we all want. We all want Jesus dust to cover us. One of Jesus' dusty disciples, Peter, wrote the words that we read just a little bit earlier. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Now, I don't know if Peter was a father or not, but he knew something about babies, didn't he? A baby that does not crave milk is not a healthy baby. We have a name for it, actually. We call it failure to thrive. And Peter knew that disciples who do not crave to grow up in Jesus Christ, they too will fail to thrive. They will not be healthy disciples. We need, therefore, to crave that pure spiritual milk. The question becomes, then, what is that milk? And you may recall the Apostle Paul uses that term as well. Paul uses it with some consternation. Paul contrasts milk with, with meat. Basically, Paul says something like, look, milk is for babies, and Christians need to grow beyond milk. You need to grow beyond the Gerber pureed peas, right? You need solid food at some point that you can grow up and mature and grow strong with. But that's really not the case with Peter. Peter is simply saying that as newborns crave milk, all of us disciples also need to crave whatever it is that will help us grow up into strong, mature disciples. And the source of all of that milk, the source is Jesus himself. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look right at Jesus. In fact, we're going to try to get so close behind him that we might even step on his heels a little bit. I hope we're going to get a little bit dusty. And we're going to look at Jesus and his feeding of the 5,000. 
And what Jesus does in this story is he actually invites us to follow him with our bodies. Okay? As we do so, even our bodies become like his. And what I'm talking about specifically is our senses. As we follow Jesus, our senses ought to be sharpened until they get to the point that they become his senses, his eyes, his ears, all of that. Discipleship, you see, is not just about the mind and knowing more. It's also about the body. And so let's try to learn something from Jesus' senses. And the first sense we're going to look at today is his sight. Jesus enhances the vision of his disciples. He enhances our vision. Now, just think about what's happening here in Mark 6 for a moment, okay? Earlier in this chapter, Jesus sends out the 12. He sends them out two by two, and he gives them authority, authority to preach, to cast out demons, that kind of authority. Then in verse 30, we read that they come back from that mission trip, okay? And they all gather around Jesus, and they want to report to him exactly what happened to them. And it's sort of like uh, what we used to do on our Rehoboth mission trips, if you were on any of those mission trips. All day long, you would go out and you would serve the people around you and, and you would get involved in their activities and you would do it all in the name of Jesus. And then back at night, we would all get together in a big room and we would talk about what? Our highs and our lows, our joys and our frustrations. And that's sort of what's going on here with the, with the disciples as well. Only they get to sit around their campfire with the person himself, with Jesus, and debrief, debrief with him everything that they've been experiencing. And if you've ever been a part of a group like that, you can almost hear the excitement that's going on in the group, that's going on around the fire. As one person says, you know, I began preaching in the name of Jesus and somebody repented of their sins right there. And somebody else a little, brought a little boy to us, and the little boy couldn't walk. And, and I looked at him, and I, I said, get up. And he did. And he rode away on his skateboard. And another one chimes in and says, you know, I was terrified because someone came to me, and you could tell that he was filled with an, with an evil spirit. And I actually worked up the courage to say, to say, in the name of Jesus, leave here. And the spirit left. And, and as the stories are, are just getting wound up, they're just winding up, right? You're just gaining momentum. And then something happens. The crowd. The crowd interrupts. The crowd disturbs the whole meeting, their time with Jesus. It's frustrating. And you can understand why the disciples were ready to shoo the crowd away. Jesus Get rid of these people. This is, this is our time. But that's not Jesus' reaction, is it? Verse 34, Jesus sees the crowd and what? And he has compassion on them. The disciples see a nuisance. Jesus sees an opportunity. In this regard, I confess, I'm probably much more like the disciples. When it comes to crowds, 
just leave me alone. Many of you know Jackie and I live down by Amfam Field, the old Miller Park. Well, every spring we see the crowds making their way to opening day. And I can't say that these crowds really move me to compassion, right? All they want is a big party. And they're carrying their lawn chairs and their coolers and they're clogging up the streets with their traffic so that we can't get into our home. They're loud, they're obnoxious. One night I actually stumbled upon a drunk trying to find his way out of our backyard. We've had women relieving themselves on our lawn. Don't talk to me about crowds, okay? I have no compassion for crowds. And I can't imagine that this crowd in Mark 6 was really any different than that. I mean, they too, they're out for a show, aren't they? I mean, the hottest thing ever to pass through these hills is Jesus. And they want to see what all the excitement is about. Don't don't sanctify this crowd. The disciples want to send them away. But Jesus sees things differently. And Jesus has compassion on them. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus sees with the eyes of his Father. Jesus sees with the eyes of the Good Shepherd. And Jesus, here in this story, is teaching his disciples to see with his eyes, with the Father's eyes, with the Shepherd's eyes. Who is Jesus teaching you, perhaps, to see differently. Maybe it's that annoying person that you work with that will never shut up. Maybe it's the student who's always upsetting your classroom. Maybe it's a friend who's always bragging about something or other, never does anything wrong. It's always the greatest at everything. Who is Jesus calling you to see just a little bit differently? You know, if you think about the stories that we read in the Gospels, who is it that Jesus tends to get angry with or upset with? He gets upset usually with people who have, who have been in the faith the longest, and yet they do not see with with God's eyes. Often they're, you know, the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. They're the leaders of God's people. They're the ones who should get it. They're the ones who are supposed to be the most mature. And they're the ones Jesus gets the most upset with. Think of, of Mark chapter 3. Jesus goes to the synagogue and there he, he spies a man in the, in the crowd with a shriveled arm. And again, he has compassion on the man. And you find out that really the Pharisees put him there, right? He's just a test to see if they can get Jesus to heal someone on the Sabbath, to break the Sabbath day. They don't care about him whatsoever. They have no compassion for him at all. No compassion for their fellow human beings especially those who are weak and who are broken. You know, oftentimes we think of 
growing in maturity as, as becoming more and more important, taking on more and more responsibility. Um, for Jesus, maturity is an inverse proportion. So, I, what I mean is this. For us, you know, the more education you get, the more you move up in the world, right? The more credentialed you are, the more, the more options you have in life, the more opportunities you have in life, the more respect you get in life, oftentimes the more money you get in life. But growing in discipleship, discipleship to Jesus isn't like that. Our status actually declines in this world. And our options are often narrowed. Our opportunities become negligible. We may lose respect, at least from the people of power and, and influence. And money becomes almost irrelevant. See, maturity in Christ means we become less self-reliant and more reliant on Christ. It's an inverse proportion. The more you grow up, the more reliant on Him you become. And as a result, the more you grow up, the more you care about the last and the least. It's just the way it works. Think of Mark chapter 10. Again, the disciples, all these little children are around. Get out of here, you kids. Don't bother the master. What does Jesus say? Let them come. He sees them differently. Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees, are, they're muttering about the people that Jesus is hanging around with, the sinners and the tax collectors and people like that. Jesus, why don't you get rid of them? He goes on to tell no less than three parables about how important these people really are. And in the very last parable, you know how it ends, right? With the older brother, the one who's supposed to be most mature. But he's envious and resentful of that little brother, that good-for-nothing brother of his. He's not mature at all. Not in Jesus' eyes. And the message comes to us over and over again with maturity ought to come eyes of compassion. Eyes that see things differently. Eyes that see the truth. Eyes that see sheep without a shepherd. Sheep that Jesus loves and longs to bring into his fold. That's seeing. Maturing disciples see with new eyes. Let's move on. Let's move on to hearing, because this is, uh, this is sort of an important one. How do disciples ever learn to see the way Jesus sees? Well, Jesus tells them to. He tells them to. Verse 37, the disciples want to send the crowds away, right? What does Jesus say? He says, no, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You do it. Right here is the growth, uh, 
or there's a key to growth and maturity. It's encountering the Word of Christ. Jesus' Word is always pushing us to grow. You give them something to eat. You do it. You can do this. Now, I'm sure that was a totally new thought, right, for the disciples. You can kind of tell from the text, they never even considered what they might be able to do to resolve a situation that was brewing around them. It was just too big for them. Us? What are you crazy? Feed all of these people? What are you talking about, Jesus? Friends, the only way we will ever grow in our faith is if we are regularly confronted with someone or by someone who thinks and knows that we can grow. Being regularly confronted by someone who knows that we can grow. And he will challenge us to do so over and over and over again. How often do you submit yourself to the Word of God? How often do you read His Word? How often do you attend public worship and listen to His Word? How often do you pray that He will use those means to apply His Word to your life? How often do you participate in, in a life group or, or some group of fellow believers, whether it's just one or two or three or five or ten, but how often do you participate in a group with other Christians who can give you another perspective on Jesus' words? Students, do you go to Sunday school? Do you go to catechism? Do you go to youth group when you're there do you crave Jesus' teaching? Do you crave that someone will show you Jesus? Or do you just sort of, you know, turn things into chaos so that no one can learn? Friends, if we want to grow up in Christ, we need to listen to the word of Jesus. Um, one of the criticisms that I've received over the years, <clears throat> and it's a criticism of, of me as a pastor, um, as a parent, as a person, is that sometimes I just sort of expect things from people without really explaining what it is that I expect. I just assume that people kind of know what they're supposed to do. And it's a fair criticism. I don't know if, if you've ever done that. <clears throat> you just sort of assume people know, and so you expect them to do that. Jesus never did that. I mean, Jesus was always very specific. You give them something to eat. You forgive your mother for what she's done to you. You don't give up meeting together. You, be generous. You, be grateful. You, husband, love your wife and give yourself up for her. You, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Jesus' word is very specific. And he's always pushing us in the direction of growth. Many of us, friends, never feel challenged to greater things because we aren't listening to Jesus' words. 
Jesus wants to sharpen our hearing. The next thing is Jesus, um, Jesus leads us to a greater sense of touch. All right? The sense of touch has to do with the method in which Jesus brings in his kingdom. Notice that the great abundance of the kingdom um, that appears in this story, it doesn't appear magically. It doesn't appear magically. Rather, it passes through the hands of the disciples. Jesus is the source of the abundance, isn't he? He's the source of it all. But the bread and the fish, they all pass through the disciples' hands. They're the ones who hand it out. They're the ones who look in the eyes of the hungry crowd and give them their bread. Now, who do you think that method of distribution impacted the most? Do you think it impacted the, the crowd all that much? I mean, they were just happy to get their food. But what about the disciples? What about the ones breaking the bread? What about the ones who kept looking in the basket and finding more there? What about the ones who went to those crowds sitting in fifties and hundreds and, and they went to the first one and they kept taking out bread and fish and, and there was enough and then they went to the next group and, and there was enough again and then the next group and there was enough. That starts to impact you after a while, doesn't it? Where's all this stuff coming from? Oh, Jesus. It's coming from Jesus. Friends, when you actually lay your hands on bread that you have absolutely no explanation for, you grow. Your faith cannot help but grow. If you think discipleship is all about taking in more information, you're wrong. The disciples weren't sitting around that fire with Jesus talking about the latest book that they read. They just weren't. Not that it wasn't important, but what were they talking about? They were talking about how they shared the gospel with people and people believed, how they shared food with people and people were fed, how they healed, how they cast out evil spirits, how they didn't understand how they could do it. But they did it. And these are the kinds of things that you end up doing when you let Jesus' eyes of compassion help you see people differently. And when you open your ears to what he might be commanding you. And suddenly you find yourself doing things that you never thought you could do. You're sharing the gospel with your roommate in college. You're opening your home to refugees from Haiti. You're helping people or a friend get a library card and a driver's license. You're helping somebody else remodel their home. Sorts of things that you never thought you would ever do or could do. But you are. The more you reach for that bread and the more it passes through your hands to someone else's, the more you begin to expect that there will be more where that came from. It'll happen again. It's called faith. And finally, the sense of taste. 
the sense of taste. Let me ask you if you ever noticed one particular detail in this story. It took me, I don't know how many times I read this before I, I noticed it. Verse 31 basically tells us the disciples were hungry. This is at the beginning of the story. The disciples themselves were hungry. It says right there, they hadn't even had a chance to eat. They haven't even had a chance to eat. In other words, the s'mores were still on the fire. And that's when the crowd came and everything went to pot. And so what does Jesus do? He says to his disciples, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Doesn't that sound nice? Going to a nice quiet place with Jesus and resting. Except if you're familiar with this world at all, you know that there aren't many restful places in this world. And the word Jesus actually uses here for come to a quiet place and rest, the word is, is the same word for wilderness. It's the same word for desert. This is the place where Jesus goes at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Actually, he's thrown into this place to be tempted by the devil. This is where Jesus is now leading his disciples. This is where he says, come with me and, and get some rest. Friends, I just want to point out here that, that following Jesus, it often involves the wilderness. That's where Jesus is always going. And that's usually the one place we're trying to avoid. The wilderness. Those certain parts of the city we never want to travel to. Those certain conversations that we never want to get into. Certain jobs that we wouldn't even consider. Those places that we avoid. And yet, that is so often exactly where Jesus is going. And that's where Jesus says, come with me. You want to find rest? Come with me. It doesn't really matter where I'm going. The whole point is that you're with me. And look what happens. They do go with Jesus. And they get swept up in his compassion. They begin to obey his commands. They begin to see all of the resources that he gives them. And they begin to grow. They're actually fed till they're satisfied. Jesus gives them milk. You don't believe that? Read the end of the story. What happens at the end of the story? Jesus says, why don't you go and collect all the leftovers? And so they do. What do they end up with? How many baskets? Twelve. One for each. Plenty of food. They eat and they're satisfied. How did that happen? Well, we followed Jesus into the wilderness 
That's how disciples grow. You know, there's a little more to this story too, and I think many of you caught it already, right? When Jesus feeds the crowd, there are, there are four different verbs that he uses. He, he takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and then he gives it. He takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it. How does Jesus feed us at his table? That's how. What does he give us at his table? He gives us himself. He's with us. And he wants us to be assured of that. That he is with us. Always. He's feeding us. He's nourishing us. It's something we never have to worry about. Just like he fed his disciples that day physically, he feeds us spiritually as well. He assures us that we are his. He assures us that he is with us. Still seeing, still speaking, still feeding, still ahead of us. And he wants us to be with him. And so, friends, get dusty. Get dusty. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our master. You are our friend. You are our Lord, our Savior, our brother. And you are the one who feeds us. You are the one who is with us, opening our eyes, opening our ears, opening our hands. And you are the one who feeds us, constantly giving us milk, that we may grow up in you and be your disciples. Lord, assure us always that we are yours and that nothing can ever change that, nothing can ever break that, so we may have more and more courage to follow your command to go out and do your work and trust that you are with us. Make us your disciples in Jesus' name. Amen.